Welcome to Campaign Chemistry, where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brands. Being over 50 isn't what it used to be. Today, the population is aging, people are living and working longer, and being a certain age doesn't necessarily equate to a specific life stage. As Chief Marketing and Communications Officer of the AARP, Martha Boudreaux aims to portray these nuances in how the organization engages with its 38 million members. The organization, which is turning 65 this year, is modernizing its offerings from building a deeper consumer experience capability to thinking about the future of its iconic magazine. In this episode, Boudreaux chats about this journey and shares wisdom on how marketers can better connect with this wealthy and important demographic that often goes unignored. Hint, it starts with employing more people over 50 at agencies and in creative positions. I'm your host, Allison Weisbrot, Editor-in-Chief of Campaign US, and you're listening to Campaign Chemistry. Hi, Martha. How are you today? Hi, Allison. I am delighted to be with you. Well, same here. Obviously, I'm excited to talk about your career and your work. But first, I just have to acknowledge that we are both University of Michigan graduates. So go blue. I saw that. Go blue. Absolutely. And I'm encouraging my niece to go there for graduate school. And of course, I'm thinking of all the travel opportunities to Ann Arbor. Oh, yes, of course. Zingerman's and football yeah. games and all the fun stuff. I hear the Michigan twang in your voice. So you're from Michigan originally. I am. I'm from Detroit. Okay, my awesome. Family, my family still lives there. So I'm, I'm fortunately in Michigan a lot. Well, it's a beautiful state and U of M is an awesome school. So yep. awesome. So you lead marketing and communications at the AARP. Talk about, you know, for listeners who maybe aren't as familiar with it, like what exactly is the AARP and what what benefits do you provide to your members? AARP, first of all, we're 65 years old this year. Happy and, birthday. Um, yes, thank you. Um, we are a 501c4 organization, which is a social mission organization. We were founded by a woman, Ethel Percy Andrus, who, um, who many, obviously many years ago, decided that there was not enough advocacy for people as they got older and that she took it upon herself to start what was first a retired teachers association and then became AARP. And from the very beginning, uh, we have advocated for the needs of the 50 plus, not only uh, federally in Washington, but also in states. We've got 54 state offices, which includes the Virgin Islands. Um, and we do so we do state advocacy as well as federal. We are the largest publisher in the country. We have a magazine and also what we call the bulletin, which is more like an, a newspaper kind of um, publication, which is focused on advocacy and, um, and issues. And the magazine, which many people are familiar with, is a lifestyle magazine. And we, there's usually a celebrity on the cover. And, and it is the most read magazine in the country. Wow. Second, interestingly, right behind us in terms of readership, not right behind us, but a little bit uh, is Costco. Okay. Which is, yeah, which is also a brand which is very popular with the 50 plus. But our magazine is, is, is beloved and is something that only members get. But as a 501c4, our website and lots of our other material is available to everyone. So, you know, we advocate for everything from healthcare and certainly financial things like social security. We have a fraud watch network, which helps educate people about the really atrocious amount of fraud 
which is um, which is out there, which lots of it is targeted at the 50 plus. Um, and we do we do 10,000 events a year. So we're a big organization, but really we are known as a powerful advocacy organization with a voice for the 50 plus. Yeah, that's really interesting. So as you know, beyond when you become a member beyond the magazine and access to all these resources, like what do you get as an AARP member? Well, the magazine is the big thing, the most tangible thing that people get. And lots of people join just for the magazine. Um, you, you, When you join, you are supporting our advocacy work. We have lots of content that is only for members. Um, but primarily what you get is access to lots and lots of information, as well as um, we have co- what we call commercial benefits, which is discounts and also different insurance products. Those are not on my side of the house. Those are run by our sister organization, which is a a separate organization, for-profit organization that licenses our brand Mm -hmm. um, for marketing of other products, including discounts. And so as a member, you get the discounts, you get access to the uh, insurance um, products, and then you get the, the information in the magazine. You lead marketing and and communications for the organization. So talk about like, what are your focus areas in terms of you have this big kind of almost like a nonprofit meets a media company, right? So how do you kind of like organize your team? How do you think about getting the word out uh, for the organization? When I was hired, Allison, 10 years ago, I was hired to integrate all of the different marketing communications functions. There, there was marketing being done across 23 different groups in the organization. So as you would expect, not only were uh, was that creating brand confusion because everybody had their campaigns and they were talking about what they wanted whenever they wanted, created brand confusion. It was wasted a lot of money. Um, and in order for us to really answer the question that people ask, who is AARP and what do you do? We had to have one unified voice. So I was hired to integrate all of those different things. So I have everything from membership marketing. That's huge. We we join, we uh, acquire or renew 12 million people a year. 12 million. That's a lot. Uh, yeah, it's, it's huge. And then, of course, we market our benefits, our social mission benefits to, to them. We have this large advertising platform, as you would expect. So the advertising that we take rolls up under me, um, all of reputation management, earned media. We have a call center, which is interesting. We have a call center that takes about four to five million calls a year. And so we also have, when I got here, I stood up a consumer experience function because uh, we needed to listen much more closely to our members. Like any mm. any any uh, consumer-centric organization, the first thing you have to do is start listening. And we didn't have that capability And we didn't have the capability to both listen across all channels and then act on that. So that reports up to me as well. I mentioned the publications and social media and our brand campaign, Mm -hmm. um, our our paid brand campaign uh, reports up to me as well. So it's everything on the traditional PR side. It's consumer experience and all the functions that fall under that um, and our publications and then our marketing as well. So it's a, it's a, it's a large, it's a large swath. It's a lot. It's a lot. But you know, we have one goal, which is to have a unified, clear voice about what AARP brings to people and what our contributions are 
to yeah. people at that age. So talk about that, like bringing everything together, because how much of AARP's marketing is about like you said you have like 54 different offices right across the country. Like how much is it about local grassroots issues? And then how do you kind of work to roll that up and make sure that it's under this brand consistent brand voice? Right. Um, so as you expect, all, all politics are local. Yep. You know, one of the most famous sayings of all time, right in our world, all politics are local. And that is absolutely true with regard to the issues that we follow. So each of our state offices have their objectives, both legislative and regulatory and from a media standpoint, but they also just stay very close to our members in each of the states um, by doing, as I said, lots of events and gatherings and showing up. And so they have to set those agendas, but it has to be within the parameters of what is important to us as a, as a nationwide organization. And we always say that we are a nationwide organization, not a national organization. And so we have you know, a fair amount of flexibility for the state offices to be involved in the things that matter. You know, from, from, uh, from a legislative standpoint, you know, we focus on issues that affect people's finances and healthcare and caregiving and fraud. And those topics are consistent across the country. And then we are involved in the price of utilities, uh, and other things like that locally, but and those those all roll up. So that that is um, that actually goes pretty smoothly. Mm-hmm. Um, from my standpoint, I think that the biggest challenge initially and even to today is that we are doing so many different marketing programs simultaneously. You know, based on what individual business units are doing, that sometimes it's very difficult to sequence. Um, okay, if we're going to be talking about fraud this month, but half the organization wants to talk about caregiving, how do you bring those two things together? And so mm-hmm. what we've done is we've created a prioritization framework, and we've also taken a look at people's lifestyles and what information is important to people at any given time. And mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. Uh, after the first of the year, people are often turning to look for new jobs. So we have a focus on working jobs and our working jobs offering early in the year. Around the holidays, when families are getting together, there's a lot of conversations about caregiving, what to do about mom and dad or aunt and uncle or whoever it may be. So we make sure that we're putting a spotlight and using our channels to spotlight caregiving resources at that time. Mm -hmm. So we start out the year with these overarching communications priorities based on what we know consumers are thinking about and talking about over the course of those many months. Now, that doesn't mean that we only talk about those things, but that means that we really turn on all of all of our channels um, on those topics at that time with, with the most um, emphasis and other things are going on at a lower level, though. Mm, that makes sense. So talk about, I mean, you mentioned that you built this cu- customer experience function at AARP. How has that sort of allowed you to manage these broader conversations you have versus, you know, what's happening at the local level? Like talk about how the customer experience function has sort of evolved your approach to marketing. Our, uh, we call it AARPX, the Mm -hmm. AARPX, AARP experience. And it has changed things dramatically at AARP. Because we deal with such volume, it was very easy 20 years ago to say, oh, we got a thousand complaints on this particular 
piece of mail or this particular thing that we're doing, you're like, well, it's only a thousand, you know, whatever. That's not that many out of the whole, the, the totality of all of our communications. But once you put in a CX function and you start listening, you really realize and organizationally, we realize that all of these difficult points, these chafe points that people would come up against, it would, it, it was a point of irritation with the brand. And if we want the relationship with us to be seamless and to be pleasurable, we have to identify what those um, pain points are and then work to, to eliminate them or smooth them out. So the first thing we had to do, and this is, you know, over the last decade, but the first thing we had to do was create a, a cultural and a mind shift that focused on what is best for the consumer first, mm. not the organization. And then we really have, we have very complex systems as a 65 year old um, organization. You know, we had to collect our data. We had to lay in new technology. We had to do, uh, we had to create new journeys, all of these different things, which as you know, take a lot of time, but we did it with our CEO's commitment that this was in fact about our future. If we mm. were going to be a brand and we are a brand that is relevant in people's lives, we had to have an experience with our consumers of all types um, that was easy. So we've made a lot of changes over time. I'll just give you one little example. When people um, cancel their membership or if they have multiple memberships, we used to send them a refund check with no explanation on it no. at all. A check would just go back and they'd get a check from AARP and they'd be like, what is this? So it drove all these calls to our call center. I got this check. What is it? Mm -hmm. And all we had to do... <laughs> say all we had to do, of course, when you make all these changes, it takes some time, but all we had to do is just put a line on the check stub that says, this is a refund for your membership for, you know, whatever it was from AARP. If you have a question, call this number and boom, just like that, the calls dropped dramatically mm -hmm. and it was easier for people. It wasn't a point of frustration or irritation. That's just one of many, many different things that we've done. Believe it or not, people get very upset when they do not get their magazine. And they yeah. will call and say, where is my magazine? Um, you know, when am I going to get it? So we created a way of tracking where people's magazines are and allowing them for in a self-service environment to figure out when it would be delivered. Again, easy, easy, makes their life easier, makes them happier with the brand. And when it comes to CX, uh, especially in an organization where there's so many touch points, um, it never ends. You know, yeah. you have to keep going and listening to consumers and understanding what is important to them. Um, just last example, we, um, you know, we are not notified in any comprehensive way if a member dies or a member's spouse dies. And so it takes a while for direct mail to catch up with that when we're notified so that mail stops going to that person. And when early on, that is a source of pain for people when they, and, and I understand that on a personal level, when they get mail addressed to a loved one who has passed away. Yeah. So we decided this is, this has to stop. This is not who we are. This has to stop. It took months for us to get all the systems talking together. And now what we have is a, an online, um, uh, uh, resource center for people who um, have lost loved ones. So it's sort of a grief counseling center. And we send out notes of recognition. We're so sorry for your loss. 
you know, and, and here are some resources from AARP and my name is on, on those cards. And I just tell you this, I got a card not long ago from a man. I don't know how old he, he is, but um, he, he wrote me a note and he said, thank you for recognizing. Now understand this is a form letter. And he said, thank you for recognizing the death of my wife of 68 years. Yours was the only note I received. Yeah. You know, when you get something like that, you say it matters what we do. It matters. Yeah. And that was all driven by CX and the recognition that we needed to put our consumers needs first and not just what, you know, what was important. A hundred percent. And I think to your point, like these sound like simple changes, but they're really not when you have all these different systems and teams and silos in the back end. Like it takes a lot of work to do something as simple as like put a sentence on the check that you mail out. Right. So um, I'm curious back to the magazine, as you think about CX, like obviously it's still very popular, but print magazines are not, you know, the, the, the most booming business on the planet right now, I would say. So how do you think about like evolving the magazine, especially as digital, like, I don't think any digital native people are AARPH yet, but they will be soon. Right. So how are you thinking about like evolving that if at all? Oh, we are absolutely thinking (laughs) about it. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, This, this is a very, very important question for us. Our magazine is loved, and it go, it goes out six times a year, but the bulletin, which is equally loved, um, goes out 10 times a year. So at all times, there is a publication sitting on someone's coffee table carrying our brand. We are in their life. And you know what? When you're absorbing information in a digital environment, you click on it, you're out, you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out, and there's no reminder unless you get notifications on a regular basis. The touch, the feel, we do all of our own photography. It's a very, very um, awarded and recognized publication. So people love it. It's a number one reason that people renew their membership is to get the magazine. And it's interesting when my 29 year old daughter joined, she said, um, yeah, I'm gonna get the magazine now. And I go to her apartment and there's the ARP magazine <laughs> right next to her computer. So of all ages, people love it. But to your point, paper is increasingly expensive. Postage is going up. More people want to read things digitally. So where we are right now is really doing a lot of research and trying to understand how to move the people that, that just need to be moved over to a digital version of it. And we have an app for our publications. Um, how do we move them over there? And then the ones that don't want to consume it on a digital basis, how do we right-size the the production of our magazine to those people who over, let's say, the next 10 years, you know, still want to receive the paper version of it, and then maybe in 10 years we phase that out? This is a very delicate balance of both bringing people to the digital side and not strong-arming them. And what's Mm. also interesting, Allison, is I'm looking at research and we're going to be doing more about not only what what encourages people to move into a digital environment, people who are older, who are more um, comfortable uh, in print, how to move them over. But also there's a little bit and I don't know the data behind it yet, but there's a little bit of a resurgence of the um, enjoyment of paper. Books are making, you know, printed books are are making resurgence in enjoyment and also printed magazines. 
Now, people aren't going to have 10 subscriptions to magazines, but I, but one or two ones that they really value to sit down at the end of the day or on the week, whenever, and pick up that magazine and leaf through it and look at content that you would not have seen if you didn't have the hard version. Because you know how we all consume content, right? We click on only the things that we want to know, we need to know. We're not wandering around online looking for random things, looking to be entertained. We're very purpose-driven in how we absorb digital content. And when you read a magazine like AARP's, that is, it is not the same experience. So we know that we need to evolve. We need to do it with our members that are digitally oriented and those regardless of age. And I want to emphasize that. The enjoyment of paper magazines is not age specific. It goes across generations. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we th- this is a very, very significant issue for us and we are on it and we are monitoring it and, you know, we're going to be testing into it, but yeah, the change, change will come, but we're going to test into it yeah. and do it the right way. So you mentioned you have an app, like what is like usage of the app compared to magazine subscriptions? Like, is it still heavily weighted towards the print? edition? Oh yeah. 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 We rolled out our, our, um, our publications app, which is great by the way. And one of the nice things about the app is, you know, the search function when you're looking uh-huh. for something like, Oh, I saw that, you know, that fantastic article, you know, on Jeff Bridges and where was it? I don't remember which one. So you can search it, you know, you're not going to go through your stack of magazines, but, um, we, we have about a hundred thousand active users. We have 38 million people that get the printed magazine. So yeah. there's a huge gulf here, but we're just, we're just getting traction. You know, we're moving forward. We're going to be creating a super app, which will house our family of apps and be the front door where people come and to, to experience all of our digital offerings. So we'll be mm. rolling out our super app and um, yeah, and we will be marketing the publications app more and, and working on all that. So, you know, more to come, but um, those mm-hmm. kind of changes are, enormous for our brand and when it comes to our printed publications, but it's an exciting time to figure out what makes sense for people. Yeah, for sure. Lots to, lots to test. Speaking of changes, right? I think, um, just being over 50 is different than it was 10, 20 years ago, right? The population is aging. People are living longer. People are working longer. So as you, um, do more customer experience, do more listening to your consumer base? Like what's changing about what the AARP membership wants? Well, what's interesting is regardless of whether you are a 50-year-old or a 60, 70, 80, 85, even 90, my mom's 92, and um, you want financial resilience, you want to maintain your health or improve your health, you want to protect yourself from fraud. You want information on how to care for family members. Interestingly, across that gigantic lifespan of our members, their, their concerns, their hopes, their, their fears, they're very much wrapped around the same topical areas, but there are many life stages. And that's what I try and get people to focus on. When you look at the 50 plus, it is not this monolith. And this is a no. big thing for marketers, right? Marketers go, oh my God, you're over 60. So you're all going to want to wear beige clothing and sit around all day. You know, that's the way marketing was 20 years ago. But when you look at all the life stages of the 50 plus, you can have a, you can have a 45 year old who has an elementary school child. Mm-hmm. You can have a 45 year old 
who, you know, whose kids have come and gone out of the house and they're starting another career and they're like marathon runners. You can have an 80 year old who's still working. My father worked until he was 90. He loved what he did and he was good at it. You know, I mean, you can have an 80 year old who's still working, you know, and who's spending a lot of money on traveling and different things. So it is about life stage. Where are you with your children or no children? Where are you economically, right? Do you need to work? Do you want to work? What about your living arrangements? So many people live in intergenerational households, which is a very big deal as you age. And so for us, we have to understand what life stage people are and then present information that makes sense for that life stage. How to find a job over the age of 50. Because as we all know, ageism is rampant. And you have to take a look at your resume. You got to look at the jobs. You want to work for a company that values multi-generational workforces. And so we know that that is important and we have resources there. We know that people are targeted by fraud as they get older. We know that people are, (laughs) are thinking about retirement as they get older. Now, the retirement word is that's one of those words like, you know, it used to be a part of our name, but we lost it about 20 plus years ago. Um, because people aren't retiring. People are working one way or the other much, much longer. But I will say this, even if you're working, by the time you get to 50, 55, you are thinking about whatever retirement means to you. And so we have tons of resources on retirement, on saving, it's not too late, when to start saving, how to pay down debt, how to hire a financial advisor, how to talk to your kids about things, how to deal with your Mm -hmm. parents. Again, it's a life stage. And so we create information that is tailored to each of those life stages, which are not age specific. Right. Age is just a number, essentially. And it depends on each each person's individual context, whether that's their health or their living situation, their job situation or whatever it might be. It's interesting because so much of marketing is done still to demos, right? Broad demos. And you look at like 50 plus and really those are the most affluent consumer base in in the country, but they're often ignored by marketers. What do you think marketers are missing by not being as nuanced with how they think about the 50 plus population? The 50 plus population is responsible for more than 8 trillion, with a T, $8 trillion in economic activity. And that's, that's mm-hmm. what they're missing. They, and I think sort of a, uh, uh, it's kind of dated at this point. I've got to believe it's, it's, it's increasingly dated, but the view that if, um, if you market to the 50 plus or the 60 plus, you're going to age up your brand. And the fact is that is just woefully, uh, uninformed and wrong because if you start market, if you are marketing appropriately to the 50 plus 60 plus, depending on the product, right? Um, it's a whole new market for you. You have a whole new market of consumers that want to know that brands understand who they are. And that happens through a lot of different things, but brands are really missing out by looking at that. And this is one of the, I guess you'd call this a conundrum, right? Which is you have creative directors and uh, creative teams that are typically in their thirties, late twenties, thirties, right? 
So they don't have a life experience of what it is to be 50 or 55 or 60. Maybe their parents are getting there, but they don't have the understanding of the lifestyle. So they many times come forward with stereotypical marketing campaigns, certainly imagery, you know, that type of thing, or else they completely, they completely bypass the whole, the whole age um, category. And that's one of the things that we really work hard to, um, to address in the creative industries is that you've got to have teams that are multi-generational who understand the reality of the lifestyle of people who are, who are over the age of 50. So there's a lot of brands mm-hmm. that are missing out. Some brands are getting it right, but a lot of brands are missing out. And the, the other part of it is not just marketing to the 50 plus, but the 50 plus are many, most times living in intergenerational um, households or um, uh, intergenerational arrangements. And so imagery and marketing that includes multiple generations is extremely effective. Some of the cruise lines have done a really good job with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Campaign recently reported on a study that found that just 4% of people featured in ads globally are over 60. Just 4%. So I think, you know, it's astounding. Yeah. To your point, it's like advertising, creative industries are notoriously ageist and there aren't a lot of older people working at these companies at all. And if they are, they're like super, super senior and like not, they don't have their hands on the work. So I don't know what, what do you think the industry can do to be more friendly and hospitable to people with more life experience? Well, two sides to that. One is, um, as they're on the, on the creative side, on the client side. So considering campaigns, you know, the marketing industry is so data driven. It's so it's about data, you know, it's, um, about consumer behavior. It's all of that. And it astounds me that so often agencies turn to, or in the creative folks, they turn a blind eye to what the data is saying. Who is buying their products? Who, you know, who is their actual target as opposed to, oh my gosh, we always have to focus on the youngest generation because they're the up and coming, you know, um, consumer generation. I'm like, really? So I, I saw an article, I don't know, this is like two years ago about, oh my God, it's all about Gen Z now. I'm like, really? How much money do they have? <laughs> you know, how much Not money do they have? To get? They have the money that their parents give them. So maybe we should be marketing to the parents. And that speaks to the whole thing about, um, well, there's this misbelief that as you age, you, you are not willing to try new brands, that you get people brand loyal when they're young, super young. That is just simply not true. That's a very outdated point of view. People with money, people who are actively involved in work and their lives and, and, and their families are being exposed to new brands and new ideas all the time, more than ever before. So brand loyalty as an inhibitor to approaching the 50 plus uh, categories, there's many, um, that, that's just outdated thinking, right? And one, you know, one of the things about really resonating, a brand resonating with older, um, older consumers, imagery makes a huge deal. Uh, makes a huge difference mm-hmm. for the last boy, probably better part of five years. Now we've had a partnership with Getty images. Um, it's called the disrupt aging collection. They're really, they're great to work with and they're very tuned in to the fact that they looked at their collection of images, you know, at the very beginning and realized that they were, um, you know, and they were, they were outdated based on what lifestyles were. 
And so they've spent years now updating the collection. And when you look at how they depict people now, yes, you know, for certain healthcare brands, you have, you know, you're, you've, you've got to have um, imagery which speaks to uh, healthcare needs, right? Mm-hmm. But for all the other brands, uh, you know, you, you want uh, the 50 plus with friends, you want them in the workforce, you want to have pictures of them being active and traveling, those types of things. And so now, thanks to Getty, um, and thanks to some leading marketers as well, that imagery is starting to show up in a more pronounced way, um, more so than it was just a few years ago. So you start with the images, that's a big part of it. Yeah. Which brands, if any, do you feel like are doing a good job of this beyond the healthcare sector? Because that's where you see most of those images. Yeah. Um, Well, I just saw one the other day that uh, was shared with me by J. Crew. It's fabulous. I got to say they uh, it's their new fall collection and they talk about. Let's see. They tell this. I wrote it down because I really liked it. It's say design their fall collection is designed to be well-worn and passed down for generations. And they've got three generations of people in their ads, you know, same design, you know, handed down over the years. So that timelessness, which is very appealing, um, you know, from a fashion standpoint, and they are working with that and they're playing with that and they're, they're messaging their imagery, their product design, right? It's all wrapped around that. And so I think they are doing a really great job. Interestingly, the the cosmetics industry, which is fixated, as you know, on youth and beauty and a certain type of beauty, there's been there's been a little bit of change there as well. Um, You know, May Musk uh, has, who's I think May she might even be a little bit over seventy five at this point. She is an ambassador for CoverGirl. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she's famous for saying, uh, her quote is like, people say that at a certain age, you stop caring what you look at. Like, and she says, I wonder what age that is, you know, mm-hmm. and they have a whole uh, portfolio of, of, of 70 plus models that they work with. L'Oreal, of course, is really good in terms of diversity as well. Um, and talking to a colleague, which with Lexus, Lexus completely understands who buys their cars, they're older, they have more money, they are in multi-generational families, and they market and they make products available. You know, um, if, uh, if, uh, if an owner needs a SUV, right, because their car is in the shop and they have family coming, they make that available, they want to keep their consumers in their vehicles, they are very clear about who it is that they're marketing to and who's buying their products. VRBO, Lots of multi-generational things. So the key thing is not to say, okay, you're either marketing to young people or you're marketing to old people. You're marketing to families. You're marketing to family moments. You know, you're, you're marketing, it's way more sophisticated and rich and diverse than it used to be. Um, so yeah, there are brands that are getting it right. Absolutely. And, um, and I'm sure that they're seeing the lift in their product sales as a result. Mm. So if the data's there... How can, and and people still aren't listening to it. How do we break these stigmas in advertising and marketing? By drawing attention to it, by drawing attention to what works for others. I think industry leadership is important as well. I think also calling out um, industries, 
that are that are lacking in terms of their acknowledgement. And it doesn't stop, Allison. As you know, when you're looking to inform and change hard-held perceptions of an entire segment of the population, right? We are one voice, but there are other voices out there as well. But I do think drawing attention to people who are doing it right and what the benefits of that are, are absolutely essential. It starts within the industry, but it also starts within society. When you think about it, you know, there's still, a, there's a tremendous amount of ageism in our society. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've always said one of the worst industries for ageism is the greeting card industry. I mean, you look at some mm-hmm. of the cards, they're all, they all use humor, if you can call it humor, to poke fun at and make fun of aging. Can you imagine using humor in a negative way against any other element of diversity? No, no. It, would, it would not be accepted. It just, it just wouldn't no. be accepted. And I think that people have to come to grips with their, the reality of their own, and it starts on an individual level, with their own aging process. I talked to somebody the other day who would not tell me, and somebody I, I know professionally, would not tell me um, how old she was. This is on a personal level. <laughs> it's like, hey, yeah. I work at ARP. It's okay. You can yeah. tell me, right? And that, <laughs> so clearly she has an issue with how old she is and how old she's, be, you know. But the good news is we're all aging. That is something that we yeah. all share. That yeah. is an element of diversity, which is rich in the workplace and in society if we accept it as something which is a gift. It is a gift to age and to age well. And so, yeah, the industry has a lot to do. Individual brands have to lead the way. They have a lot to do. Um, But I think as individuals, we have to do that. And I think we have to hold ourselves to a standard as well. We would never allow a racist or sexist comment. But yet, you know, we, you know, we just uh, accept it when people make ageist comments. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, 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 we, we have to be better than that. Well, Martha, you are certainly leading the charge in breaking those stigmas. So thank you so much for all the work you do. Thank you for coming on the podcast today and keep fighting the good fight. Okay. You can help me, Allison. I will. I'm going to publish this podcast on (laughs) campaignlive.com. Check it out tomorrow. (laughs) Excellent. All right. Thanks, Allison. Good talking to you. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to Campaign Chemistry wherever you get your podcasts and head to campaignlive.com for all the latest news on advertising and marketing.